Has a, has a change in the White House made you more optimistic or changed any of your views on the future? <sighs> yeah, uh, it's definitely made me more optimistic. <laughs> there's an old white guy in the White House. I don't know if you knew that, Joel, but there's an old white guy in the White House. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. Chad is tan, rest, and ready to podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Joel Cheeseman. This is the Chad and Cheese Podcast. As always, I am joined by my loyal co-host, Chad Sowash. And today, we are honored to welcome the coolest name in the in the history of names on this podcast. No question. Star Carter, co-founder and CEO of Canaries, graduate of Harvard Law, and a resident of Dallas. Star, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. What, what else should our audience know about you that I uh, I forgot to cover there? Oh, you got all the, the high points. <laughs> Cowboys fan. Yes, Cowboys fan. Uh, Mother of two? Mother of two, five and seven seven years old. There you go. Anything else? We, we like to go deep on this show. I, <laughs> I, okay, let's get deep. Uh, spent about 12 years in the law firm life, so uh, did private equity work, uh, negotiating and drafting agreements, and oh. that's where I really got into diversity, equity, and inclusion, why I was there. Can we get into that real quick? Because that doesn't make any sense to me. Private equity... <laughs> diversity and inclusion. And you know, as well as I do, it is hard for females, let alone black females, uh, or even any person of color to get funded in the first place. So how do those, how was there a divergence there? (laughs) You're right. Private equity is a pure, almost hundred percent white boy industry. Um, What happened though, is when you're it, when you're in the law firm, when you're one of very few as African-American female, uh, just like so many of us do, you get tapped to do diversity, equity, inclusion, right? You're wow. the black female. You're one of few. Hey, I want you to join the recruiting committee, the women's committee, the diversity committee. And you really are tapped to do that stuff as one of few. So that's how I got interested in it and really learned about it when I was in the law firm space. That doesn't sound like an honor. <laughs> Yeah, voluntold, right? Yeah. It's hard. It's not an honor per se, especially because you still have your expectations of your full kind of billable, right? As a lawyer, you have to build time and they don't give any kind of leniency in that. But you're at the same time expected to do all this committee work, all this DEI work um, that you don't get any kind of credit for. Well, that's kind of like uh, corporate America and their employee resource groups where they want to be able to create these uh, different segments to to to. Uh, provide community per se, but there's generally no additional pay that goes to those in- individuals, more of an, an added task and or job or role on top of what they already have to get done. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, ERGs is a whole nother topic. I think ERGs <laughs> can be done smart, yes. right? If you actually have executive sponsorship and it gives the leaders of the ERGs FaceTime in front of leadership they would nevertheless ever be in front of, it makes a lot of sense, right, for your professional advancement if you could set it up in the right way. But if it's just really just a group and a support group, I agree with you. I think it can be set up in a way that doesn't really have any kind of value add. Yeah. Let's dig, let's dig into your background one more time. So law, you're kind of voluntold to be a part of these committees and whatnot. And then you're co-founder of a tech 
organization? How did tech get thrown in here? And how did you guys actually move toward technology in the space of DEI? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so yeah, most of my background's in law. Um, and what we saw as co-founders, I mean, a lot of the time while I was in the law firm, I experienced various inequities like so many of us do. I hit the pinnacle of those inequities when I came up for partnership in the law firm and I was told that I needed to wait a year uh, because I had taken too many uh, maternity leaves, and that number was two. Oh. T W O. Wow. Uh, it's, yeah, I was. I, <laughs> I know. I was actually told that, um, which of course upset me, and I ended up leaving shortly thereafter. Um, and as I talked with my co-founders about their various experience, we got together and we said, you know what, something's got to be done here. How do we close this gap? Because what we saw was these inequities being experienced, uh, executive leadership having no idea what was going on, uh, I guess, in the field, right, by most of the employees working at a specific company. How do we close that gap in communication so that executive leadership actually has a sense of the lived experiences and they can make DEI decisions based on the best information available? Uh, And that's where we got into the tech. How do we share those lived experiences in a way where uh, folks don't have to worry about negative career ramifications? So tell us about Canaries, your company, um, on the tech side, what is what's your specialty? What kind of uh, what's the demographic of a client who uses you? What do they use you for? If I knew nothing about Canaries, what would you tell me about it? Yeah, yeah. So Canaries, we're a black founded company. We are we start with the data analytics. So we do that through various assessments. We do that through an employer assessment where we're really understanding where is a company partner on their DEI journey by looking at their systems, their policies, their procedures, asking specific questions about their hiring processes? Uh, do you disclose pay bans? Are you asking um, applicants with respect to their salary history? Questions like that to really understand where they are in their DEI journey. Do they have paid maternity leave? Things like that. Um, and then we're also doing assessments from the perception of an employee, understanding those lived experience. So asking them questions about, um, are they familiar with DEI initiatives? Have they ever um, experienced anti-discrimination? Do they feel like they belong? Uh, Do they feel like they can go to their immediate manager if something were to happen and report something? Questions like that. And so we take all that information, we analyze that, and we go from the analytics all the way through an insights report that really lays out those key findings uh, and turn that into a recommendation plan. So we start with the data analytics, we go all the way through to recommendations, and then we help with strategy implementation of those recommendations. It sounds like a bit of a high touch and high tech business. Would that be correct? Yeah, it's a mix of that. You know, when we first started, you, you learn so much when you're an entrepreneur. It was really a focus on the tech, right? Let's do these assessments. But what we found really quickly is that our uh, company partners were like, okay, great. This is such great information. What's next? What do we do now? You know, so they kind of look at you like, help us. Um, and so then we ended up morphing into a mix, a mix of that strategy implementation and helping from a consulting services standpoint. But having that data analytics be front and center so that strategy is specifically informed. So let's talk about raising money. I, I'm curious in the process as a whole, did you get seed when you started the company? Did you sort of become profitable and then look to raise? Um, you've raised a total of $4.6 million, which is incredibly impressive for anyone. But I assume that there are certain challenges that you faced or hurdles as a, a woman of color. Um, and if so, feel free to talk 
Talk about that. Oh, yeah. Um, so we started off with uh, what they call the pre-seed round, right? Friend and family. And of course, in the African-American community, a lot, that a lot of times is an issue in itself because we don't have family and friends with a lot of uh, wealth, right? Just given the history of this of this country. Um, what we were able to do is raise $1.6 million through various angel investors. Uh, of course, we got to the point where we moved to the seed round, and that's when we started talking to VCs specifically. And that was... Um, that was a journey in itself. I mean, we talked to so many investors. I remember talking to one investor specifically that kind of looked at us and said, what? In equities? It's a meritocracy. There's, I don't even know what you're talking about. You don't need this kind of thing in the workplace. Yeah. Um, and I will say from that point, we said, okay, it's very important. We align with investors that understand the social impact nature of what we're trying to do. And what you also come to find when you're a black female founder is the type of questions you ask, they differ greatly. What we found through the research and having to prepare is that when you are um, a female specifically, black female specifically as well, you're asked more questions that are prevention, right? Tell me about security. What are the risks? Um, what are some things that can go wrong with your business? And when you are a male, you tend to get these promotion-oriented questions. Mm -hmm. Questions like, how much do you think you can earn? And, and all questions around the, the maximum amount of um, success you can have. Right. And so what happens is you ask a, preventative, uh, a prevention question, it begets a prevention answer. When you ask a promotion-oriented question, it begets a promotion answer. And so we had to really learn how, how do we spin this uh, prevention-oriented question into a promotion answer. Gotcha. What's the, what's the biggest point of advice you would provide to any female out there who wants to start a company? Would it be just that or would there be something even bigger that you would focus on right out of the gate? I would definitely say you got to have tenacity. You're going to hear a lot of no's, especially as a female. We just don't Especially when you're doing fundraising, we just do not raise the funds specifically out of the whole entire VC industry. I mentioned before with black females, it's even more paltry. If you're looking at 0.06% down from 2.3% for females for VC funding. So you, you better get used to hearing no and you better get used to being tenacious because otherwise you just uh, put your head between your legs and, and you know quit what you're trying to do. And it's really easy to be discouraged. Right. Okay. Well, you talk about data in the platform in you know that's in recruiting i mean we really run heavy on analytics but the biggest problem in the dei segment or or the rep the underrepresented segment is that most underrepresented populations don't self-identify which is a huge problem within itself but overall if you don't have the data how do you identify the problem and then how do you fix a problem that you can't identify? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I, and it's funny because we talk to some companies who say, oh, we have data, right? Um, and they might do something like an employee engagement survey where they ask maybe one to three DEI-specific questions. Um, at Canaries, we really focus, to your point, on the intersectionality. But how do you actually gather that information on demographics. So part of what we do is utilizing the information that they already have gathered through their HRS system. So a lot of companies, for instance, already gather information on gender 
or on ethnicity. And that's kind of the, the bulk of it, right? And so what we do is help our company partners with a quasi like self ID campaign where we are asking various demographics. Maybe we're asking about um, sexual orientation or religion or, or something. A lot of what we do is consultative. So we'll say, what are you missing demographic wise from your workforce? Do you have uh, a focus that you want to focus on? And so for instance, we just rolled out kind of this quasi self ID campaign where our specific company partner wanted to focus. They had no information on sexual orientation and religion. Um, and so we were able to identify for them what their workforce looks like in those two very specific demographics that they did not have the information for. And we were able to fill in a little bit more on the kind of missing ethnicity. But to your whole point, intersectionality is so important. And so when you have this data, because a lot of the companies we work with have a lot of data, but they do not break it up by intersectionality. They have no idea how things differ between your black employees, your Asian employees, your LGBT employees, et cetera. So do you have any business cases behind that? If not, that sounds like a beautiful one to start on right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we. I think it becomes really clear for our company partners specifically to see how do you measure equity and inclusion? These are like the very nebulous concepts of DEI. And so we worked really closely with a product advisory council, DEI professionals that have been doing this their entire career, uh, a pollster who is in the business of asking questions to measure nebulous concepts. How do you measure those equity and inclusion? And then when you're asking those questions, how does an overlay look when you're looking at specific intersectionality demographics compared to your entire workforce? And it's been amazing to uncover for some of our company partners. Okay, it looks like overall from your employee workforce, you're doing great in X, Y, and Z, right? But when we actually break this down to your, you know, your Hispanics or your, your black population or whatever population fill in the blank, there is a statistically significant difference in how these demographics in your workforce perceive these very various aspects of equity and inclusion differently than your entire workforce. And there is something about that. And this is what we bring to the front and center as far as the data goes, intersectionality, to make it very clear, here's where we're finding key findings. And so as we talk about DEI initiatives and policies and things to implement, we got to think very clearly how this may differ between these various demographics based on the data we've collected from them. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. But first, we have a question for Andy Katz, COO of Next. Andy, if a company wants to actually come to Next and utilize your database and target texting candidates, I mean, how does that actually work? Right. So we have the software to provide it two different ways. If an employer has their own database of opted in text messages, whether it's through their ATS, we can text on their behalf or we have over eight and a half million users that have opted into our text messaging at this point. So we can use our own database, we can dissect it by obviously by geography, by function, um, any which way, Some and sometimes we'll even parse the resumes of the opted in people to target certifications. So we really can you know dive really deep if they wanna hone in on, you know, just give me the best hundred candidates that I want to text message with and have a conversation back and forth with versus going and saying I need 30,000 retail people across the country. And that's more of a, you know, yes, no text messaging back and apply. For more information, go to hiring.next.com. Remember, that's next with the double X, not the triple X. Hiring.next.com. 
The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. I feel like so much of our industry um, is fickle. There are certain things that become hot, whether it be in the the zeitgeist of uh, just the world at large or whether it's a tech shiny object that that companies gravitate toward. And when I think about that, I think about a threat to businesses like yours. And is there a th- is there a threat that diversity and inclusion loses its sort of focus and that that's a, a, a serious threat to your business? Like, do you think about the, I guess, just the overall trends of, of diversity and inclusion? Or do you, do you feel like it's something that is going to be a long-term practice by companies? And if it's going to be a long-term practice, what is going to be the selling point to make sure that, that that remains something that is in the future for the long term? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, DEI has been around for a while now, right? Um, it, the concept. But it's been so stagnant, right? Even though it's been around, we've been talking about it for 20 plus years. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to turn around and it be 20 40, and we're still talking about how come DEI hasn't moved the needle since uh, you know the early 1990s when a lot of companies were first really focusing on DNI. I think what we see now is I, I think it's a it's it's a change in times, right? We have what I've always coined the racial uh, pandemic from the the ruthless murder of George Floyd and all the happenings from beyond. What we're seeing, I think, is much more of your employee base coming to leaders and demanding better, uh, demanding more. They feel more empowered to ask those tough questions about DEI. What's going on? What are we doing, CEO, as a company toward DEI? And I think that's really kind of perpetuated this movement to putting your foot on the gas for DEI. Let's focus on DEI specifically now. Why? Because our employees are demanding it. So for a lot of those companies that... Maybe, you know, kind of just thought it was a nice nice thing to have. It was maybe a business imperative, but it wasn't a priority. It, what we've seen through Canaries is a lot of these companies, and not all, there's always exceptions, but a lot of these companies are now saying, you know what, this is absolutely a business priority for us. We got to put DEI up front and center. And I think in order for that to be a long-term trend, we have to keep our foot on the gas and we have to keep demanding uh, and empowering, especially our underrepresented employees to ask those tough questions and demand more from their leadership. I'm going to throw you a softball question. How, how do you feel about aspirational diversity goals? <laughs> Is this a softball question? <laughs> so, okay. Aspirational diversity goals are okay, right? Um, however, I think it's really important. Companies have historically focused on diversity, right? Mm-hmm. You have three black employees, two of them leave. Oh, crap. Let's replace the two. Um, so we keep our numbers where they are. So as we talk with our company partners, we always emphasize that virtue is important, right? And probably the easiest things to measure, especially with um, specific demographics that you can outwardly see. But the what I think a lot of companies forget about or have not focused on historically is the retention side of it. So you you spend all that money for your talent acquisition. You got folks there, and a lot of companies have problems with that, which is a whole other topic we can get into. Just not even claiming they can't find diverse individuals to yeah. hire. But let's pretend for a moment that companies 
can find them, uh, the retention goes out, you know, off the wayside, right? Like we, we get them here and then there's no focus that's intentional on how do we keep these underrepresented employees here? How do we make sure they feel like they belong, especially when they're one of very few? And that was my issue at the law firms I worked at. There weren't very many of us. And so there were several times I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, and part of that is your, you know, what we've seen is these biases have crept into systems, policies, and procedures. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why when you talk to these companies, they say, we have great diversity, which is why the goals part, I'm like, eh, it's okay, but you have to focus on the retention part. But when you break down the diversity from the entry level all the way to the top, I'm talking about the top, top, not just leadership, but yeah. board. There is a steep drop off and it is a terrible thing when you see all the diversity at the entry level. And as you move up the corporate ladder, it just completely, completely disappears. Okay. I'm going to give you my cynic view because I don't, I don't believe that the people in power, let's just say old white dudes want to give up the power at all. Rather, they, they, they create aspirational goals, throw billions of dollars with a B at training and then make excuses for not hiring, uh, not having hiring outcomes and or promoting underrepresented populations through the ranks, uh, driving wage equality. And the list goes on and on. So in short, we haven't made progress because the people in power don't want to give it up. How do we change that? I agree. I mean, there's companies that very much so align with what you're saying. Um, and at least at Canaries, when we are partnering with companies, we want to partner with companies that have executive buy-in and actually want to change the system with DEI. But you're absolutely right. There are so many companies in which I don't think there's a true desire for DEI. It's more like a check the box initiative. Let's make, yeah, let's make sure we have these things for our marketing materials. Let's make sure we can at least proclaim that we're doing something. But when it really, when you, when you pull back that curtain and look into the organization specifically, you really see nothing. You see these steep drop offs. You're seeing the issues that I mentioned earlier. Um, and I think to change that, it's, it's, it's going to be a long, <laughs> it's going to be a long haul, but I at least am uh, positive about the fact that, um, we are seeing with some of the companies with respect to um, wanting to really have change. Yeah. And you know, Star, when I, when I look at questions like this or any question really in life, I say, follow the money. And when you, when you first started talking about the investment community and when I think about, you know, how can we really change the direction on some of this stuff? It seems like it, the root of this is where the money is going and where investment is being, uh, you know, sort of, put to do you were you seeing any changes uh in the, the the vc world as you were trying to raise money do you see the vc world changing do you see more um people of color and diversity starting venture capital firms and putting money into organizations like yours we are definitely seeing a change there's been a lot more commitments as a part of the the entire racial justice movement, and that's inclusive in the VC world. We're seeing a lot more VC firms commit more to getting more people of color within their VC ranks, right? Because a lot of times you see the VCs and there's no people of color that are part of that specific VC. We're seeing that. We're seeing uh, more being started by people of color. We're seeing uh, more commitments, whether it's majority white or uh, you know a black or uh, person of color started, more commitments to um, investing in in founders of color. So it has been changing. And I think we'll continue to see more and more um, initiatives like this come about. 
I'm just hoping that we see much more of it in the long term. It's not just a short term thing, especially why racist justice right now is is the focus. I, I, what I would hate to see is that some of these things are so short term. This time five years ago, everyone's off the racial justice discussions and on to the next subject matter. Uh, but I, I do think we're seeing trends. Yeah. Has a, has a change in the White House made you more optimistic or changed any of your views on the future? <sighs> yeah. Uh, it's definitely made me more optimistic. <laughs> there's an old white guy in the White House. I don't know if you knew that, Joel, but there's an old white guy in the White House. It's definitely made me more optimistic. Um, we'll see if those changes carry through. Uh, you know, um, I, I think we've already seen a lot more progress Uh from the previous man to the current man, um, yes. you know, even with our VP being a woman of color, um, there's definitely more progress that we've seen. Yeah, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> Not all white guys are the same. Thank God. They're 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 both older white guys, but but differing views and platforms. Such a sexist. <laughs> Some of the recruiting industry's biggest issues start with bloated requirements carried by the job posting itself. Are you guys analyzing job requirements to help stop the bias from Jump Street at all? Yeah. So um, we currently don't have that built into our software, but it's actually on our roadmap because what we're seeing a lot of questions um, about from our prospects is, can you help us with job description? We're getting that. We're getting those questions and inquiries a lot. Um, and I think that as we look at our roadmap, we really want to make that be one of our core offerings to make sure that we have that built into our software so we can help companies with their job descriptions and making sure they're not using words that may uh, automatically turn off a female. Make sure they're not listing you know 50 qualifications because we know women feel like they have to check every single one before they apply. Yeah. Um, so it's on our roadmap, but it, it's not there now, but we, we definitely want to get there because we're getting more increase about that from our prospects. So what do you see is the fastest route to parity? One, what one big step would provide the biggest impact for every company that's listening right now? What could they do? I think what they could do for parity is... <sighs> It's really about the professional development. I think I think where we run into trouble, especially with people of color or other underrepresented employees, is there's a lack of sponsorship. Um, and by sponsor, mentorship is there. Usually, there's good mentors in place, but sponsorship—the people that um, are the ones that put their neck on the line, have the power to pull you through and get you promoted through an organization—and mm-hmm. I feel like that is a huge part of what's missing in these organizations, especially for underrepresented. I think part of that is just leadership tends to be, you know, white older males and. Those white older males tend to gravitate toward people that remind them of themselves. Um, And so the underrepresented employees there fall through the cracks. And so I think if they're going to be intentionality specifically geared towards sponsorship, um, we could start seeing some changes faster than not. Uh, But that's just just one thing. I know there's a, a number of things companies really need to do to try to to start fixing this, these major issues when it comes to parity. So I'm going to go hard line on this last question. If we mandated, let's say the federal government mandated transparency around workforce composition and also pay equity and actually to be able to demonstrate who's getting paid, what doesn't have to be by person, obviously, but, but by aggregate. How do you think that would actually impact the industry? Do you think it would be for the positive or do you think that would actually negatively impact what you're trying to do at Canaries? I think transparency equates to accountability. And I think the problem with DEI is that we don't have enough transparency. I think people 
companies are nervous about their numbers, nervous about the AI. They really don't want to bring it out into the front and center. So I think if we had mandates where companies had to be more transparent about their DEI initiatives or their numbers, I think we would all of a sudden see a sense of additional accountability. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's what's needed for these companies to really say, oh, crap. (laughs) You know, everyone's looking at this. We've got to do something. And it's very apparent that we are falling behind our industry uh, competitors. And so we've got to do something to get back in front of the group of folks that we're on, on top again. So I would be a proponent of more transparency. I know from a company standpoint, it can be very scary, but I think the accountability and the transparency is absolutely what what needs to happen in order for companies to all jump on this bandwagon of really trying to move the needle for DEI. Yep. Rip off the band-aid. Do it. (laughs) Last one for me. Over or under nine wins for the Cowboys this coming season? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. Um... I always go into the season really optimistic, only to be utterly, really disappointed by the end of the season. And it's been like that for the past. Sounds like an under to me, Chad. Sounds yeah. like an under to me. All right. All right. I'm not going to answer without a direct answer. We'll see. I'm hoping to be optimistic this year and, and be pleased by the end of the season. All but right. We'll Star Carter, everybody. That's right. Co-founder, CEO of Canaries. Star, for those who want to know more about you or Canaries, where should they go? Yeah. Uh, check out canaries.com and it's spelled a little funky. K-A-N-A-R-Y-S.com. And then we're, of course, across all the social media channels at Canaries Inc. I-N-C. And don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with Chad, Texas. Chad, we out, we out. <laughs> I'm Rory from Scotland, the country which brought you electricity. Thank you for listening to podcast with Chad and Cheese. Brilliant. They talk about recruiting. They talk about technology. But most of all, they talk about nothing. Nada niente. Um, anywho, be sure to subscribe today on iTunes, Spotify, Google Player, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We out! Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.